Welcome back to Ryan O'Brien's Bible Bistro. I'm the Ryan half. Hey, and I'm the Brian half. And this is the Ryan, Bistro. <laughs> Ryan O'Brien's Bible Bistro. It's good, yeah. to be, good to be with you today, Ryan. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Ryan. We're yeah. doing things a little bit different. Yes. You know, I'm kind of cutting off the intro yeah. because, you know. I now, think, are I we think, still going to have the music? or? Oh, there'll be music. Okay. The music will never die. Right. I love, I love our music. Yes, but I just, you know. I was watching Netflix the other day. Right. And it's like, oh, do you want to watch the intro to the show? And I'm like, no, I already know the intro. You Skip. know, I think there I, I think there are two kinds of people. I think there are those who like the intro and those who don't like the intro. I watch the intro. It somehow it sets me up for it. It, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, the beginning of a book of the Bible, for example. <laughs> it kind of prepares you well, for what's Now to that come. you put it everything's in spiritual terms, <laughs> you gotta put it back. Helps you understand the context, am I right? Well, but but we're still going to do we're going to do a little recap here. So we've yeah. been so recap. That's an important part of yes, the show intro. It is. We so we've been going through Ephesians and yeah. it's been it's been great. We've yeah. had some great feedback recently yeah. on some of the past episodes about the ideas of holiness. Yes. And, yeah. uh, Got what, some good comments from a listener on that. And yeah. Some, and, you know, and I will say one of my favorites is I, I really like the holiness. And then the one we just released this last week about redeeming the time. Right. We, you know, it's interesting because we <laughs> we have lots of listeners that, you know, have different kinds of tastes and things. And so a lot of people really responded well to the, going through Ephesians kind of as a Bible study. I've heard one of our listeners talk about they really enjoy that format. But we've had others that say, you know, I kind of miss the randomness. <laughs> So going forward, we'll probably do a little bit of both. But yeah, we've been in Ephesians, but we're going to go to the book of Revelation. We haven't been in Revelation for yeah, a while. Revelation is so. always a crowd pleaser. But before we do that, mm, yeah. since we're cutting out the intro, I just need to remind everyone, if you're enjoying the podcast yeah. and enjoying this, please, please consider supporting yeah. us. We, yep. We've got a Patreon set up. Um, and so you can subs- <clears throat> you can um, support us monthly. And yes. if you do, for three months, you can get a coffee mug. Or a T-shirt, yeah. and the first round of coffee mugs have are, gone out. Have gone out, so and they're making waves. They, I, okay, I, I got a text today from someone really? and I had the mug, and they were drinking it and said the most desired mug in the house. It's rare like, right now. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's a very limited. Edition. <laughs> it's a limited edition right now, but no, that's that's great. You know, it's it it, it seems like we just kind of do this off off the cuff. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of work that goes into, especially on your side, Ryan. Uh, lots of uh, technical equipment, lots of studio equipment, yeah. that kind and of. And it is, and I say, it's a labor of love for both you. Yeah. And I, you know, we enjoy doing it, but if yeah. you would support us, you know, I'm, I'm here in Bloomington today, and you drive over to Indianapolis, yeah. and just you know, to help Gas us isn't along. like it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's like it used to be. Hey, we should we should give a shout out to Broadleaf Productions as well, who are hosting us today in their, yes. in their spacious studios, spaciousness in downtown East Bloomington. So, <laughs> wait, is East Bloomington its own town that yeah. has its own downtown? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're in beautiful downtown East Bloomington, That's Illinois right. today. Yeah. So, thanks to Broadleaf Productions. Yeah, and absolutely. See them for all your video needs in Central Illinois. You get to Indiana, you cross the border. It's all me, baby. Let him go. He's smiling back over here. All right. Well, let's jump into Revelation. So we've done right. we've done several on Revelation, and it's been we've talked about the two witnesses. Yes. We've talked about just the imagery and so yeah. forth. What's yeah. going on in there? But now we're gonna we're gonna move a little bit further into Revelation. Yeah, and talk we, about something that's really this can be a brain buster for some people. Yeah. Well, it's 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 good a good example, I think, and and for a couple of different reasons. Is we've talked before about how the imagery. Of, of revelation needs to be read 
in symbolic ways. We've shown mm-hmm. that, I think, pretty pretty clearly. This is a good example of this. We're in, we're in Revelation 17 today, and the image is, uh, you know, the way that it would have been put in the King James, the whore of Babylon. Uh, now it's it's usually put a little bit in a little bit nicer terms. I don't know that I don't it know. should be. Well, yeah, let's, but, let's roll with it. Well, anyway, but Re- Revelation 17, there's lots of great images here. And I think this is a good passage for us to look at for a couple of reasons. One is I think it's instructive for how we do interpretation of the book of Revelation. But the other thing, people, when people, when we really start talking about, because again, people kind of have this expectation of the book of Revelation that it is going to give us kind of an outline of future history, right? Mm-hmm. And when you begin to tell people, well, you know, really it's kind of, you know, using these figures to talk about things that are going on in the present reality of the of the Christians. Now, it does deal a little bit with the future, I think, but it's really about how to live in, in the Roman Empire. And so John uses lots of very clear images. Here's a problem. I've always noticed when I teach this, I get to a certain point and, and students will begin to say, well, then how does this apply to us? Like this, mm-hmm. if this is all about the Roman Empire. So I think this is a good example of how we can also bring some of the principles that John is teaching uh, in 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 relationship to the to the empire in which they were living. And, and I think we can use some of those principles in applying to any um, country, any kingdom, any any context that we live in today. Yeah, and I think that's really an important thing. <clears throat> so we're not just looking at this book as something right. other. But right. it, is, it has it's really meaningful for right. us today as well. well. If you go back to our introduction to Revelation, we talked then about it's kind of a discipleship manual. It's really mm-hmm. about how to live in in the context in which we find ourselves, and yeah. and that, that's what I really think. And it's been interesting. I've, I think I've mentioned before I've taught this in different cultures. You know, not only mm-hmm. in the United States, but I've taught it in, in other places. And, and the interesting thing about that, I think, is is you see how in different political contexts and different cultural context, the message does pertain. It, it does have a universal message. Right. Very specific references, I think, here, but then in a, a, a general... Um, yeah. And on another note, you know, we've been going through Revelation. I yeah. said this on the phone to you this last week. So I've been reading a day-by-day Bible yeah. you know, throughout the year, yeah. and I just went through Amos. <laughs> yeah. And well, it, it, you yeah. know, one of the things, like I, we've been teaching Revelation with my small group and, and reading Amos, and I saw some of very similar, yes. you know, I've seen these similar languages where it's, we talk, we're going to talk a little bit about some wraths that's yeah. been poured out, but it comes back to it in, in the wraths in Revelation, it says, but they would still not repent. Yeah. And then I was reading Amos, Amos. And, it was, and it's, he's, delivering all these things god's saying like i did all these things to you israel but you would still not return to me and i was just like aha this you know i mean i I knew there was these connections but to read them and say like you see the whole story again we talk about this all the time the narrative going through all of scripture and god has done this little revelation piece to israel before to try to draw them back to himself you you know the interesting thing i I say this all the time that you really know you're in trouble when you start understanding other parts of scripture by the book of revelation well and 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 we had tripper longman on not too long ago uh uh, reading revelation through old testament eyes i mean it is it is full of old and we're gonna see this again today full of old testament imagery Hmm. and so you know as i said before understanding the old testament thoroughly including the prophets including exodus is going to be big for what we talk about today uh understanding these parts of the old testament narrative are crucial if we're going to understand the message of the book of revelation yeah and 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 i would just say this for everyone yeah i know sometimes revelation as i've taught it in my small group it's like this i'm nervous i don't understand anything but it's like and we said before go slowly through it take it at a time and you know work through it because i think it does it does illuminate so much more as you look back to kind of go i see the connection here it's not uh 
there's no Gnostic secret knowledge right. out there. It's like, no, this is a continuation of the of the narrative the that's story. been coming. That's yeah, been the coming the story. whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well, let's let's go on and, and then look at it a little bit. Just, you know, we're always talking about the importance of context. So if you go back in chapter 16, what we have, and, and we've talked before, Revelation has these cycles of different sevens mm-hmm. usually. And there are seven bowls of wrath that are poured out by these seven angels is where we are to this point. And 16 kind of, chapter 16 kind of wraps up those seven bowls of wrath that are being poured out on on the earth, it says. Gase, the, the, the uh, uh, Greek word gase is what it's used there, earth. And we talked a little bit about that. Um, so if you look at 1616, just to kind of get us prepared for this. Mm-hmm. As that last bowl is poured out, it says, then they gathered the kings together to the place uh, that is in Hebrew called Armageddon. So here's the the mountain of Megiddo. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's this this place of this great battle. Great battles have taken place in, in the past. So the kings of the earth, we're going to see here in just a minute in chapter 17, are all gathered there together for this final climactic battle is kind of the idea. And then verse 17 says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice saying, it is done. And so all this stuff happens. There's <clears throat> there's again a, a big destruction scene, it seems like. Uh, everything's kind of coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we get into 17. And I think 17 is kind of an explanation. Go ahead and read verses one and two then. It's an explanation of these seven bowls of wrath, basically. But go ahead and read 17, one and two for me, if you would. Yeah, 17, one and two. Here we go. (laughs) One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Okay, so let's go back. A lot, lots going on here. So one of these seven angels that had the seven bulls come and basically says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna explain this to you." Mm-hmm. And and the image that John sees, then he says, "I'm gonna show you this punishment." Which those seven bulls of wrath have really been about judgment or punishment coming upon um, the enemies of God's people, the those who have uh, tempted to uh, attempted to uh, lead God's people astray. Mm-hmm. And so what happens here, it says, just to show you a couple of things, again, it's a great prostitute or great, you know, the, the whore, the harlot, harlot is <laughs> yeah. the word that's sometimes used. And it's, it's interesting because I think we're, again, we're looking at a figurative sense here and infidelity or, or, um, uh, what's the other word I was looking for? Um, uh, you know, this idea, adultery. adultery, this idea of, of sexual sin is used throughout the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. what, what, is he, what do you usually see? What context do you see it used it, in there? Israel's unfaithfulness. Israel's unfaithfulness. You know, the idea is that God is is the, the husband to, mm-hmm. to his people. And when they go aside to other gods, to other idols— and they begin to give power to these other false gods, then this is a spiritual act of uh, of um, uh, unfaithfulness, right? Uh, right? Of adultery, spiritual adultery. And so that's why I think we have this image, this one that the kings of the earth here, again, like we saw in 16, these kings that have been gathered for this battle and and there's this, this judgment coming on them. The kings of the earth have come together and in, in, a, in a figurative way, uh, they have gone into the seduction of this woman. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, um, this woman, I understand to be symbolic of Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay. I meant to show you that up in 1616. I forgot that. Uh, it starts to talk about, uh, well, if you look at 1619, it talks about the great city. 
uh, split into three parts. The city of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So you see how Rome here, the great city, is referred to and as a her. Mm-hmm. And then immediately you have this image of this of this harlot. So that's why the context I think helps lead us toward this idea of 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 Rome being being the primary reference here. So Rome and their in in their power and in their influence have seduced, if you will, the kings of all these other nations to go to bed with them, so to speak, right, right. to commit adultery with them economically and politically and culturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, these are the things that are being worshipped instead of the true God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even it, it goes into idol worship. But even if we're not talking, you know, even if it's not quite as on the nose as emperor worship, as is part of what we understand Revelation to be referring to, or the worship of idols, it, it's looking for this economic, political, military, cultural power. Uh, it, it's, it's looking to that for our salvation, right. rather than trusting in God for our for our salvation that's really what the what the primary image here is yeah and and i think you know we're talking about the seductiveness of it i mean i think we even go back to the beginning of revelation where it's right. the letters to the churches are you're doing well in this but like yeah. the cultures be careful is right. reeling you in so yeah. it's the seductive nature of exactly of, of rome and so that's why i think this idea of spiritual adultery spiritual you know this this idea that that rome is seducing is 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 enticing people to trust in in their power rather than in trusting in god's now here's the other thing is just this is just a minor detail we're going to get back to it in fact the the angel's going to interpret this in the last half of the the chapter so uh, i'm trying to keep from reading ahead but <laughs> yeah but in verse in verse one it says that i will show you the great prostitute who sits by many waters and water here has to do, I think, with the way that trade took place, uh, the way that, um, you know, political messages were sent back and forth by rivers and by sea and this kind of thing. <clears throat> Later in the chapter, it's going to very specifically say these many waters are referring to these various kings and nations and peoples. So this is talking about, I think, the connectedness. <laughs> so here, here's an example today, if you think about the way that image and commerce and these kind of things flow for us it would be kind of the idea i think of of the internet of 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 connections in this way Mm -hmm. and again i think it's something that we have to be careful of something that we can be seduced by again something that uh, can draw us aside from the trust in god not that i'm saying that this is a direct reference to that but it's it's the same kind when we're talking about it's a concept something that can easily draw you away yeah and 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 you begin to trust in it. You begin to put all of your faith in this system of mm-hmm. commerce, this system of trade, rather than putting your trust in God to be able to care for you. And and so that, that's that's what I think is the is the primary message here. Mm-hmm. So if we go on to verse three, let me read this. Um, and it talks about the wine of her adulteries. Again, we saw the cup of her wrath that God gave, and then we'll get down to this a little bit later. But look at verse three. I'm just going to spend a moment on this. It says, "Then the angel carried me away in." the spirit. Of course, John goes back to this, even in chapter one, he talks about being in the spirit on the Lord's day when this revelation mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ first came to him. But this idea of in the spirit is basically, he's saying, I, I was being shown these things by, by the Holy spirit. These things were being revealed to me so I can mm-hmm. then tell them to you. Angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And, and I, I thought about this, this is, you know, a minor image, but when you think this about 
Exodus. Yeah. I mean, Israelites have been in the wilderness before. They've been in the wilderness before. We're going to see wilderness. um, Well, we've seen it already in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation as a place of safety. And and so here's what I was thinking as I was kind of preparing for this. I was thinking uh, the wilderness is a place of ambiguity for God's people. Mm. Okay. Now, so, so wilderness was punishment in the sense that, you know, the people didn't trust in God and therefore they wandered in the wilderness. But the other thing is the wilderness is looked back at by the people who settle in the land. They look back at the time in the wilderness as a time that proved God's provision, hmm. right? It proved God is able to provide for them. And that's kind of how wilderness is for us, I think, all the time for God's people. <clears throat> it's a place of uncertainty. It's a place where of, of difficulty. We could say, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's in some ways where God's people is in, in Rome. Uh, they're in the wilderness in the sense that it's an inhospitable place, but at the same time, it's a place where God is still able to provide, and, and it can even be a place of protection and safety for God's people. There are times where God's people flee to the wilderness. Um, you think about sometimes the prophets flee in, into the countryside. The other wilderness story I think always think about, which is an echo of Exodus, and I think intentionally so is when Jesus goes into the wilderness uh, for 40 days at the mm-hmm. beginning of his ministry. Same thing there. It's a time of trial. Temptation. It, it's a time of temptation. It's a time of testing. There is, a, not to put you know too fine a point on it, but, but Satan tries to seduce him into trusting um, for his provision for bread, for example, mm-hmm. in, in his own strength. Um, he, he, Power on the earth. You know, so so we have these temptations um, for Jesus to do it in a different way than is what what is God's plan. Um, but it is also, a, a, you know, it's a time of testing, but it's also a time and a place of God's um, caring for him and provision, I would say. You know, he's able to withstand the test. <clears throat> Man, I've got a frog in my throat today. You're, you're all right. <laughs> so anyway, that's wilderness is a place of ambiguity, I think. For, okay. for God's people. And then it goes on. It says, then I saw, uh, there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and uh, that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. Now we've seen these seven heads and these 10 horns before. Go ahead and read. There's a couple of different places. I think I, I, I yeah. sit there for you to read. Jeremiah. No, no, no. This is a, uh, um, revelation, um, 12. Yeah. 12, three. Yeah. Uh, so Revelation twelve three. Then another sign appeared in heaven: an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. And then in uh, was it thirteen? I gave one. To you? Thirteen one. Thirteen yeah. one. Uh, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. So you see the seven head, ten horns repeated, and seven, of course, is kind of a number of completion. Uh, the ten horns, and there's some debate on this. the The horns stand for kings. It's clear this all all this goes back to Daniel chapter seven. That's the images that are being used. So the question here is, if we're talking about particular kings, are these ten particular kings? Now, I I think they are. I think they're talking about Roman emperors, and I, and I think this is part of how we de- we date the Book of Revelation. Probably too much to get into right now. There, well, I mean, it's just yeah, a huge, it's, it's a huge a, topic. Yeah, but but there are other uh, there are other ways of understanding these ten. Seven obviously is a number of completeness. In other words, right. their their authority or their power is is mm-hmm. sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but 10 can either be seen that way, kind of like, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes kind of thing, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily the toes, <clears throat> but I know you have 11, but the, uh, <laughs> sorry, what's this comedy hour? <laughs> sorry. Um, 
so it could be that it could be that kind of thing, or it could be again reference to specific kings. I tend to take it as specific emperors that's being referred to, but we we can go back there and and, and talk about that. Like I said, in another day. Um, so so this beast is scarlet. It's just like it's the same color that we see the dragon. You know, red or scarlet is the idea. Mm-hmm. Red speaks about typically danger. Um, and we're going to see another use of that in, in just a minute, but uh, it, it's this idea. This is not a friendly situation. This is right. A, this is a danger, and, and so uh, you know, and, and also red and blood and this kind of thing, and, and persecution is one of the images it may bring to mind, as we'll we'll see in just a little bit. Um, and, and so the the beast is red in the same way. Now it's it's covered. It says with blasphemous names, and we see the same thing again with um, in Revelation thirteen, the image of blasphemous names written on it. <clears throat> and if you think about blasphemy, how would you how would you describe or define blasphemy specifically? Speaking against okay. God, or speaking in uh, intentionally speaking incorrectly about God. Yeah, I think that that's yeah, that's a part of it. I think <clears throat> blasphemy can also carry this connotation with it as of uh trying to put yourself in in God's place, you know, mm-hmm. or taking upon yourself things that belong rightfully to God. This is what Jesus is criticized for. When he's accused of blasphemy by the leaders in in the Gospel of John, you might remember it's because you know they were they were basically uh, accusing him of healing on the Sabbath, and and he says, "My father works on the Sabbath, and I too am working to this very day." And and it, what Scandal. John what John says there is that you know they they said he's making himself equal with God. It's not only that he called God Father, mm-hmm. but that it's he's making himself equal with God. So setting yourself up in this way of being worthy of God's praise or, you know, having the power that God has. So again, when you think about the emperors of Rome, this is how I would understand this. Um, One of the accusations that Christians have for them is they're putting themselves in this divine place, in this divine space, whether we're talking about emperor worship specifically, which I think we are, or or if we're talking simply about the function that they have, Mm -hmm. um, that they're seen as the savior of the world, that they're seen as the providers, that they are the bringers of peace. Right. You know, so all these kind of titles that are given to the emperors when Jesus is by Christians called, he is our peace. Right. Whoa. You know, yeah. He is the savior of the world. Now, wait a minute. You know, I'm pretty right. sure that, I have a coin someplace with Caesar Augustus picture on it with that. You know, it, it, it's basically that he's saying that that these human emperors have put themselves in place of God's role is the mm-hmm. way I understand it. Now, again, that's Rome, but I, I would think any system in, in uh, you know, Beale's uh, in his commentary, his favorite word for this is world system. Any any system that would put itself in a position where they are, uh, that system is trying to take for itself the power that belongs rightfully to God, uh, whatever that is, um, mm-hmm. to be the one who is the decider I mean, I don't know where you want to go with this. The decider of justice, the um, the one who's the giver of life, uh, you know, all of this as as Christians, we say we're not going to bow our knee to an idol. Right. Right. And by that, what we mean is we're not going to. <laughs> I got to be careful about my terms here. We're not going to give our allegiance to to something that is trying to place itself in place of God. Uh, instead, we are going to acknowledge God as the giver of all life, as the one who is, um, who, who is the one who who brings 
true judgment, true justice, these these mm-hmm. kind of things. So any thoughts on that or any? Yeah, any I mean, I think that's minute? really when we kind of had this conversation last evening, yeah. but just like justice and what does that look like? And it's so easy for us to say, like, this is true justice, but like, right. Um, it, I was reading a book from N.T. Wright or yeah. listening to a book about 12 broken signposts. Yeah. And he says, justice is one of these things. Yes. And he's yeah. like, typically when there's justice on earth, we sometimes see there might be an imbalance that even in the justice, it's not perfect. Right. Justice. It's not a re-leveling. It's not a real. Yeah. And so it's so easy to think that we are achieving justice. You know, it's a seduction sure. of again, like we're, we're we're achieving real peace, but it's not right. It's not real peace. It's not real justice right. outside of that thing. And so, you know, this is one of the things I talked. Uh, you know, this is during Pax Romana, isn't it? Yep. Like the Roman yep. peace. So, like this is real peace, but it's peace at a sword. Yeah, and of course, I, I, my mind going back to Ephesians, where we talked about, you know, he, you know, Jesus Christ is our peace, who made the two one, dividing the the divide, uh, taking away the dividing wall of hostility. You know, that's mm-hmm. it, it's it's the two groups becoming united is what is true peace, right? Is mm-hmm. is the the way God created things to be. It's not a well, we're going to acquiesce to the to the power of the military, the military might of Rome, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, not the kind of peace that's enforced at when, you know, Jerusalem and pass on Passover, when the Roman guards were over the temple, making sure that mm-hmm. peace was kept, you know, that's. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, I, th- I think that's a, the trick is we talk about this, like, how do we make this applicable yeah. to us today yeah. is yeah. kind of going is like, d- again, I think as we talked about those first three chapters of revelation really set up what's to come afterwards and, yeah. and seeking these churches that, you know, you, you've done these things really well, but there's this piece that's, that slides yeah. in. And so, and I think it slides in because it is seductive. Yeah. You know, it's this seductive, like, oh, it's peace. Like we're, we're not right. like here, but it's, it's a false sense of that piece. Uh, let me give you one example from, <laughs> I'm always loath to do this, you know, but, but, you know, there's a couple of situations going on and, and, and one of them, we trust God's vengeance. We don't, yeah. we don't try to exact vengeance ourselves, mm-hmm. Right. And, and yet I hear Christians sometimes and, and myself in my heart at times, there are things that you think, oh, what a heinous thing that took place, man. I, I really hope they get their own, you know, mm-hmm. um, even, even like yesterday when the guy I was trying to pull over with the load in the back of the truck and, and the guy whipped around me, I mean, Man, I really hope that guy got what he deserved, you know, but but that's not my place, right? Mm -hmm. My place isn't to exact vengeance. Yeah, I won't tell you how I reacted, but uh, it was less it was less than Christ like. But but the uh, you know, the you know, that that's part of it. But here's the other example I was going to give is praying for peace. Like right now we have the situation in Russia and in Ukraine mm-hmm. and, and there's all kinds of different opinions and you hear all kinds of different news about that. But I think my prayer is the same in essence, which is that the leaders of all of those nations would seek peace. Mm-hmm. Right. Would seek a peaceful settlement there. <clears throat> and and there are atrocities that are taking place. There's wrong. There's right. I'm not I'm not saying mm-hmm. that. But ultimately, our prayer is for God's peace to be, you know, in the wisdom of the leaders of those nations and our own nation um, seeking peace. And, and so. So there's just an example of how I think that applies in our in our context. Yeah, yeah it's. You know, there's one of these things you know, being on the right side of history, like, mm-hmm. you know, you having the right stance on it, but like even that in and of itself can be like, yeah. is that real? Yeah. Or is that, yeah, it, it can, it can become for us an idol, mm-hmm. right? 
to make sure that that things are working out the way that we think that they should should be working out. And and I and I know this is a this is a really difficult point for us to grasp. But trusting God is saying even when by appearances mm. justice is not being done. To use you know the the, the yeah. signpost, uh, we know ultimately God's justice is the only one that's going to be going to be true. Is going to be you know complete. So. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to think that our our idea of justice is is justice. And, and, and if if we have learned nothing, we should have learned that our perspective is woefully limited, mm-hmm. that our ability to know fully is is limited by our by our situation, our circumstance. Um. Well, <laughs> probably enough said about that yeah. right now. Anyway, but, yeah, we've we've. Talked about that. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I think about there is, uh, in those verses is just the, the blasphemous and and keeping our head on straight there. Yeah. So the seven heads, 10 horns, uh, I'm going to go ahead a little bit quicker here because I, I feel like I've kind of been 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 going pretty slow. But verse four, and, and I mean, there's so many details. I, I could, you know, we could we talk could. about this a long time. <laughs> right. But verse four, uh, it says the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. Now, here's again that red. Purple and red. So purple is a is a sign of royalty, royalty. right? It's it, these are very expensive dyes in the ancient world. I think we've mentioned this before. The, the sea it, snail. Yeah, in fact, we had an early early on. We had an episode about um, yeah royal purple in the time from the time of David that has been discovered recently. But there are very particular uh, sea mollusk that that they extract this dye from, and it's a it's a arduous process just to you got to dive down it gets like an you get like an ounce out of it maybe not even an ounce i think it's it's just a tiny amount and and yeah to dye an entire robe that's why the whole idea of a purple robe is is an idea of of luxury but you're gonna see this you don't need just that purple but look at this the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet glittering with gold precious stones and pearls so this is an idea of luxury this is an idea of sumptuousness Uh, it has to do with rome profiting from the merchant that have brought and again this this goes to the many waters do you remember me yes. talking about the transport and trade and all this kind of thing mm-hmm. um that that rome has profited from this position it's it's put them in a in a position of wealth and a position of luxury at the expense of of other peoples you know mm-hmm. and so that's part of i think what's what's being being referred to here and then it says she has a gold cup uh in her hand um uh filled with <laughs> and this is this is really so abominable uh, yeah abominable things and the filth of her adulteries so you're thinking here about this grossness so that so you know within a jewish context this idea of uncleanness or uh, abomination you know these are things that are just you, you shouldn't you know you don't want to put these things in your mouth you know these are not mm-hmm. things you want to drink and, and and so here's that she is getting the payback, if you will, God's vengeance on her. And so again, remember, this is an angel describing these bulls of wrath. Basically, it's coming to Rome what Rome deserves now. Rome is getting what Rome deserves. Um, they're they're drinking now from the filth of their of these adulterous relationships with these other nations. These these um, uh, you know, it's been to their profit, but now they're getting the kind of the nastiness of it. I guess is what what mm-hmm. I would describe in this in this way. Anything on? Were you gonna say something? Uh, no, it just I, I had never thought of it as this is. It, it was just like it was just another sign of how bad it was. Not necessarily that the cup represented 
wrath coming right. from God yet. Well, I, I because of the gold cut back in chapter 16. So that's that's okay. where so if you remember back there in chapter 16 um and uh where was uh, I? verse 19 uh, and gave her a cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Yeah. Okay. So so basically but you you get it it's an interesting it's an interesting idea because it's like you know this is the result of of what you have done this is mm. this is the you know you're talking about justice this is this is this isn't karma but this is this is the result of of your um um sin against god has resulted in this uncleanness that now you're you're partaking yourself yeah it, i just, I just never tied that back yeah. to 16 i'd always yeah. thought it was just like another symbol of her um being gross <laughs> well it definitely is that it's definitely a very it is a you know i almost don't want to talk about it. it's a very strong image here yeah. I'll, I'll say that verse five says the name this name was written on her forehead that was a mystery and and so this idea of written on a forehead we've seen this a couple of other times with god's people uh god's people had uh, a seal on their foreheads they had the name of god written on their mm -hmm. foreheads uh forehead is a very prominent place you mm -hmm. know it's a place that's easily you know it it, it shows something about their identity Identity. Mm -hmm. And so this on their foreheads, easily seen who this is. And so she is identified as Babylon the Great. So this is where we get the idea of the whore of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Now, Babylon, of course, is an Old Testament image. It's an Old Testament nation, right? The This empire mm -hmm. who, who came and ultimately Babylon is the one who defeated the southern kingdom. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they are the ones who destroyed the, the temple, temple and, and took um, the people into captivity. Daniel, again, you remember a lot oh, of yes. images come from Daniel. Daniel was taken into captivity. Um, they put another king, uh, on, you know, it's a vassal king on the throne in Jerusalem. Uh, and and pretty soon they ended up, um, um, you know, defeating him because he tried to rebel against them, Zedekiah. And, and, and so, so Babylon is this place of captivity, it, it, it's a place of oppression, you know, that mm -hmm. for, for God's people. Uh, they are the, the image of defeat. So Babylon, again, is used not only here, but frequently in the in the New Testament, I would say. I don't know about frequently, but re regularly in the New Testament as a symbol for Rome. Uh, it's basically like, here, you know, fellows, here we are again, or people, the, here we are again. The evil empire. Yeah. Yeah, they are the they are the the dark side, and, and so so you know Babylon here standing for Rome. I'm, I'm thinking about even First Peter. You know, he ends with this idea of you know Rome and 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 you know, we here at Babylon. You know, this kind of an idea. This, the, these it's used regularly for this for this kind of an image. So so Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes or harlots, however you want to say it. <clears throat> In other words, not only are they seducing themselves, but they are encouraging this. This is this is a it's spreading. It's spreading. It's a promotion of this and of the abominations of the earth. So they are the ones who are bringing all of this. Uh, they're the enemies of God's people. Verse six, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And, and this, of course, is what Revelation has been all about, staying true um, in the seals, for example, the seven seals, fourth or fifth seal, you have the slain saints under the altar who are slain because of their maintaining the testimony uh, uh, to Jesus. And mm -hmm. so, so here's that kind of same same kind of an idea that we have going on that the persecution has come because they've stayed true to what God has has um, you and, know, called and, them to. And this is 
kind of tied to Revelation 11, the two witnesses yep. that we've that we yep. had an episode on about yep. the witnesses bearing testimony uh, as well. Yeah, that, that, and that being killed for their testimony. That they've remained faithful even when, even in the you know, in the face of this of this empire that's calling them to do other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they've they've maintained truth to that. So again application for us is that we remain true to the testimony about Jesus. We're, we're willing to speak about Jesus and the truth of Jesus, no matter what consequences may come, no matter what difficulties might come as a result of that. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's applicable again. It's, it's, it's using a very specific example here for God's people in their particular context, but that same principle applies for us in our context today. It's a, it's a story of God's triumph and our suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, John says, when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides. So, so here, the rest of the chapter then is really an explanation of this, uh, of this um, idea. Uh, you know, the, the beast that has seven heads and 10 horns, he says. So the rest of this is kind of a, uh, a an explanation, if you will, of what's, what's going on here in, in, in this, um, in, in this context. So verse eight then, uh, well, you go ahead and read a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you want to do eight, eight, nine, and ten? Yeah, go ahead and do yeah. that. The beast which you saw once was, now was not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now was not, and yet will come. Okay. Let's stop right there. A- actually, um, I'd, I'd realized there's earlier I wanted to do the Jeremiah 51 that you're talking about earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let, let me say something about this was and is, is not and is to come. Already we've had one of the regular descriptions of God is the one who, what? One, one who was and is and is to come. Okay. So, so he is, he is eternal. Sorry, that's for all our fans who appreciate it when Brian asks me something and I have no idea where he's going. What I'm talking about, yeah. But this one, so so what's the difference here? This is the one who was. So this is the the um, force of evil against God's people in the past is not, but will come again. It's the idea. Mm -hmm. So so it's a negation in a sense of that idea. It's the opposite of God, Mm -hmm. if you will. It's this it's this idea. If there is such thing as an opposite God. There isn't, but um, it's, it, it's it, an inverse of the, yeah, of the in, idea. inverse of that idea of his he, of his eternal nature, and so that if you notice, it says, and he will come to its destruction. Mm-hmm. So, so the abyss here, I think, even refers. If you think about later in the book of Revelation, he comes back to this idea that there is this time of um, being bound, and yet will be loosed mm-hmm. right yeah but ultimately the destruction is what's what comes this is right. redu- re- uh, released for a little while uh and, and and is is ultimately destroyed thrown in the lake of fire is kind of the idea so we're talking about you mentioned that we're talking about the victory of god's people is really what's going on don't worry about the power of this beast don't worry about all of that we're we're um uh, you know, we we know ultimately the the lamb is victorious. Let's go back to Jeremiah fifty one, and I and I apologize for doing this out of order. This goes back to that cup, and I love the same imagery in Jeremiah fifty one that I think is being drawn on here yeah, partially. Absolutely. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, they have now gone mad. Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. Wail over her. Get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. So there's that idea that God used Babylon's uh, power 
which is mm-hmm. frequently used in the Old Testament, that God used Babylon in order to bring his judgment, but then ultimately she will fall. And so he used this as a cup in, in his hand to, to, to do these. And so it's a very similar concept here. They've gotten drunk. These nations have gotten drunk with Rome's wine, but Rome is ultimately going to fall, and then they're going to wail over this great city. Similar image we're going to see here in just a moment. And uh, and ultimately, then what happens is that that God's you know victory is what what comes as a result of this. That God's God's victory is is ultimate in this. So so that's what we have. Sorry, I went <laughs> to go back here back there for that. No, that's good. Now go ahead and read nine through eleven. So we're going to see yeah. this was and is not uh, is not and 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 will be again. Yeah. But so this is verse nine. Mm-hmm. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They they are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven is going and is going to his destruction. So the seven heads are the seven hills, and this is probably a reference to Rome. Again, and later we're going to see he says very specifically, this is the great city. And I think there's some debates. And, and Rome is known in in history as a city on seven hills. Yes, absolutely. That's that's one of the descriptions of it. The, the great city in this period of time. There are some who say this is Jerusalem, uh, but but I think here clearly, or some say it's Jerusalem and Rome. Uh, but I think the great city here in this time would have been a reference to Rome. The seven hills are a reference to Rome uh, is, is the way that I would understand this. And, and also it says these seven kings who have fallen, but that there is one who is yet to come, this eighth king who is yet to come. And again, depending on how we count the emperors, I think I think that's what it's a reference to. And John's giving us an idea of the time in which he's writing. Okay. In, in kind of, and it says, anytime he says, this takes um, a mind for wisdom. He's basically saying, I'm going to kind of couch this in terms that, you know, will not get us all in trouble. <laughs> but, but Use but your brain. Use critical, your brain and figure this out. Thinking, right, yeah. right. So that's what I think is going on here. Um, so, it, and again, the destruction is, is what's, what's um, you know, ultimate. The, the, so. Yeah, that's the main message here is yeah. there have been some and there's it's going to be destruction. Yeah. So I'm going to read 12 through 14. It says, the 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who've not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour, and, and here again, anytime we have this short time and saying just a little while, don't, don't, mm-hmm. nothing to worry about, who for one hour receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. So here we probably are thinking about other kingdoms around that are giving their authority and power to Rome. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is what Rome, you know, the, the horror of Babylon is is deriving her her power and strength from, but that's only for a short time, for an hour, and then those will be gone. Uh, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. So again, the message is one of triumph of the Lamb, uh, and and so uh, we don't need to worry. Verse fifteen is what I referred to earlier. The angel said to me, "The waters you saw." where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So here I think is the idea, again, These are, this is the connections that Rome has with all of these places. This is their, you know, so so languages, for example, if there's messages that are transmitted, they're going to come, you know, across the sea on boats, up the river. You know, this is how uh, uh, 
transmission of information is going to take place uh, during this period of time. That's how trade takes place. That's how uh, political allegiances take place in, in, in all this. So. And then it says, verse 16, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So ultimately, there's going to be this rebellion against Rome mm-hmm. uh, when when they begin to see that Rome is no longer able to. And, and this is where I think this is future in the time of, of uh, John, when they see that Rome is no longer able to protect them or or herself for that matter when they begin She'll be to see, devoured then then they will they will basically uh all of the wealth and everything that she has taken to herself will be up for grabs so to speak so then it says for god has put in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until god's words are fulfilled and then very plainly john says the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth so so this is the idea so so again i said we we're going to talk a little bit about uh, and we've talked along the way about application as well <clears throat> so in a very specific way he's saying don't worry about rome there's going to come a time just like babylon when babylon you know, god used mm-hmm. babylon for a period of time god is using rome for this period of time but there is going to come a time where you know they're they're going to also receive the due of what they have done, especially to God's people. Same way that Babylon has oppressed God's people in the Old Testament, they're eventually going to receive their destruction. Rome is the same. Rome is not going to be the eternal city, right? Even though it is, that's that's what they call it. But but you, you get what I'm saying. This mm-hmm. empire is going to crumble. It's going to right. fall. And even at that point, these kings that were in alliance with them are going to turn turn against her. And, and so. God, you know, the message here for God's people is even when it might seem that things, you know, the power of this evil oppressing empire is there forever, it isn't forever. Right. Um, and Rome endured as an empire much longer, for example, than our own country has existed. But, but there will come a time is the message when that will come to an end. And, and I think it's the same for us. We, we, I don't say this. One of the messages I think that we have to take away is that even we can be seduced by by different ways of wielding power. We can we can be seduced by putting our trust in in various authorities and various powers when we reckon we need to recognize the only eternal uh, power, the only eternal authority is God himself. And, and the lamb is the one who ultimately will be victorious over all the kings of the earth. Um, and, and, you know, our trust goes, goes to him. That's the main message. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the way that we live in whatever political or economic or cultural context we find ourselves in, uh, you know, it, it's a question of not allowing the idols of, of this world to turn aside our hearts and our allegiance from the, the worship of the true God is the way I would say it. Yeah. I, you know, I think about, context of this and we've talked to one of the conversations i've read in the commentaries is like you know was john really writing about rome there's like there's no way he could have got this message out because rome would have censored the message because he talked about the fall of them but also that this was during the great roman peace sure and it was almost impossible for anyone to think that this incredible city, yep. this city that has dominated, and, you, and we yep. talked about this is, you know, Alexander the Great moved quickly through yep. and conquered, but didn't really establish any uh, hard for a long time. And then here comes Rome just yep. grinding down people to a pulp yep. and ruling. And it was just this idea of like, well, Rome is 
we've we've got all the jewels and the gold yeah. and they're trading in people and everyone's coming to them uh, and it's this time of peace right but it was oh you rise up we kill you we st- we're still here <laughs> right. we're not leaving and so this the, the this you know and i think for us as we think today and i it's probably easier for us today in the united states sometimes we feel very divided you know sure. there's been a time in our past it felt like we are solid we're strong yeah. there's nothing that can come against right. us but even internally we can see that there's like um that we we can't place our trust in a country we can't place yep. our tr- trust in a system um we can't place our trust in an economy we can't yeah. but you know that that god is god is and what we have is is a temporary yes system inside yeah. of i think it's a matter of perspective and and you know the thing is you start talking this way and there are people who who begin to think oh you're you're being un-american or you're being and, mm-hmm. and not at all i'm you know i'm i'm god i think i think you know in the same way that god has established all nations i would say mm-hmm. um that there are very particular blessings that we have enjoyed to this point in, in in our nation and sometimes we don't even recognize until we begin to as you and i both have done travel into places where where things are significantly different mm-hmm. but god we, we have to keep in mind that god has always given us these blessings to be used to continue and, and work the the you know furthering mm-hmm. his kingdom conti- continuing the work of his kingdom um, the blessings that we have aren't for the continuation of this nation it's for the continuation of his kingdom which mm-hmm. is ultimately the eternal and and so there's you know there's there's this the, the scary thing for us to oh scary is not the right word exactly but the the thing for us to be very careful of is i think we can even be seduced uh, you know we say this all the time we can even be seduced by the good things that god gives us if we make them the ultimate thing mm-hmm. uh you know god gives us family and we're blessed by our families but our family cannot be before god right uh god god is it doesn't work any other way mm-hmm. anything we put before god ourselves another person um an idea anything we put before god becomes an idol mm-hmm. um and that's what i think is being warned against here there's uh you know uh commercial success commerce trade um wealth you know all those things we have to be very careful of if they become our ultimate then then we've made them an idol yeah it's it's the examined life yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, just as john says this calls for a mind yeah. with with wisdom and there's always this we need to keep, keep coming back to you yeah. know like are we using a mind of wisdom or are we being apathetic and letting yeah you just as you know us talking about that like the blessings that we have is even in rome we talked about that jesus came in a certain time in a certain yeah. place but it was because of rome yeah that the message got you know we had the rome you know there was a system in there that the 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 roads and so forth that the message could be carried yeah. out to you know the farther than just Jerusalem and the language and the, language had and, been and the relative peace I yeah. mean all those things so went, there was there was good to it but yeah. when when that becomes that good of that becomes the primary and not the message yeah and not who Christ is that's when we get ourselves in trouble so let me let me maybe just back up and use wealth. You mentioned wealth. Let me use it as an example, because that might be a little bit easier for us to see sometimes, even when I start talking about our nationhood. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so again, what I said was that our, our being 
you know, for those of us who are listening in, in the United States, and I know we have people who are listening outside the United States. Again, this is the interesting thing about Revelation is applies in our context. But, you know, we have certain blessings that we've been given, but those have been given for God's purpose, ultimately, not not for you know, just a self-perpetuating kind of kind of thing. Mm. So let me use wealth as an example. Uh, wealth is not bad. That's that's not what the message is. The message is if we make wealth the primary thing, we've made it an idol. If we are using that wealth on on God's behalf for for His purpose, then then that's the proper order thing. Again, we're we're you know putting we're submitting ourselves to God's will and to God's pur- God's purpose. But when the wealth becomes the primary thing, I know lots of people who have been given blessed with, and they, they would say that they would say it's God's blessing of incredible wealth, but they're using it in ways that are for his, his kingdom. In other words, they have a, a proper perspective. And so that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not criticizing our, our citizenship. I'm not criticizing our mm-hmm. nationhood, but we need to recognize, we need to make sure we're keeping it in the proper place. Place. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the temptations here. One of the reasons the nations that John is talking about are going to, you know, share in these, in these, um, you know, the uncleanness is because they've been seduced by Rome's power to put their trust in Rome rather than putting their trust in God. And so the faithful and true person who maintains their testimony is ultimately putting their trust in God is the way yeah. that I would say it. And faithful testimony means living living it a living yeah. testimony not only speaking i mean testimony has to do with speaking but it it, it has to do, it's to do with, with living it living it as well yeah it's it's it again i'm gonna call back to our ephesians episode it's not yeah. just what you abstain from it's yeah. what you holiness what you is what you do it's yeah. how you live your life in that context and, sure. and we have to keep examining it like yeah. have i exalted this over something yep. else and god's saying like whatever you've exalted over me i will bring to ruin at some right. point you right. know and that uh my name will be first and foremost right yeah absolutely this is great all yeah, right I'm you glad know, you enjoyed the, it yeah well i mean there's a lot to talk about here in revelation yeah. and uh to, to so, go what's, through. so what's coming up next what do well, we have well i think we're next? going back to ephesians yeah. we're gonna do the house list coming okay. up or the house how to order the home this right. is the one that gets spicy for some people <laughs> Oh, we'll see if we can make I mean, it controversial. It's not, gonna be spi- then. it's not gonna be controversial, but you well, know, we some, can try. So the, well, I'm sure we could absolutely do it. We could offend everyone all at one time. So okay. Anyway, but yeah. So we'll be back next week yeah. with uh, going back to Ephesians, and we've just got two episodes. Two more left episodes in, in two, Ephesians. So yeah. if you've loved Ephesians, I'm sorry, it's coming to a close. If you've not, I mean, we all like Ephesians, but if you've sure. not liked it, you and I riffing on it for an extended period of time, that's coming to an end. But uh, yeah. thanks so much for sharing Revelation. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, that you can subscribe to Patreon and support our work. Yeah. And you can find us on YouTube and yeah. you can see our beautiful mugs. Yeah, give us likes. And we've said likes. this, we haven't said this for a while. Give us, uh, you know, good comments on Apple Podcast, always help, or whatever, pot, wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, it does help. And it is encouraging, you know, yeah. like, we were having dinner and you showed me this com- some yeah. comments. You know, it's sometimes it feels like we're talking into a voice. <laughs> sometimes we may be. <laughs> sometimes it's just our own voices and our headphones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we appreciate it. And yeah. I'm looking forward to, to coming back next Tuesday. All right. All right. We'll see you, Ryan. Thanks, Brian.